You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone, and welcome to another interesting episode of Ask Drone You. My name is Paul, and with me today is the Vice President of Policy and Legal Affairs, Mr. Brendan Shulman. Brendan is going to be with us today because DJI just showcased how they can fulfill the remote ID requirement for a broadcast-based system of identifying drone pilots and the drones that they're flying. While this is raising a lot of privacy concerns in the community, we've got Brendan on the show today to help us understand what this system really does, who it's available to, and explain why you as a drone pilot have more power in really showcasing the navigation of where we go with this. So, Brendan, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Well, I I actually really do appreciate your time. I know it's valuable. And let's just get right into it. So remote ID has been really the focus of the industry and the FAA for almost almost three years now, because as I believe, and I think you believe this as well, remote ID is really the way that we can allow for more autonomous operations. It's a way that we can allow for systematic waiver approvals and ultimately the way to expand the drone industry as a whole. But in your eyes, why is remote ID so important? Yeah, I, th- I think it's um, really important to remember that although we did a tech demo, this is a, an FAA and U.S. government initiative. Um, if you've been to any drone conference or, or, or even just meeting or webinar um, in the past three years, you, you've heard repeatedly that remote ID is the most important thing that the FAA needs to figure out because of the uh, security agencies that are concerned about drone operations and the inability to figure out who's flying a drone, particularly in a sensitive location. So remote ID is really viewed as as the requirement to move forward on advanced rulemaking. If you uh, read the proposal in February on flight over people and night operations, it specifically said that these rules will not be finalized until there's remote ID. And the reason is that the security agencies don't want advanced operations that increased risk without an ability to electronically figure out who's flying. So number one, in, in terms of why it's important, is that nothing else gets done in terms of rulemaking for advanced operations until there is a remote ID requirement in place. But number two, and I think this is important also, is that we need to do something about the public acceptance of drones in society, the concerns about privacy and nuisance and things like that. And from my perspective, that's an accountability challenge. When, when the drone in those rare instances when a drone might be doing something wrong or is suspected of doing something wrong, there's a, there's a challenge of not knowing who's responsible because the drone flies away. So um, the reaction to that at the state and city level and even federally is let's restrict the use of the drone in our area because we can't figure out whether or if someone is doing something wrong. I think remote ID is the solution to that. Use an existing privacy law, let's call it Keeping Tom or something else, don't make any drone-specific rules or, or restrictions, but instead hold people accountable when they're doing something wrong. How do you do that? Remote ID. So remote ID really solves a lot of issues in terms of federal rulemaking and FAA and, and national security uh, requirements and, and really, frankly, demands from, from Congress all the way down to, to the FAA and, and to other uh, government stakeholders, DOJ, uh, DHS, Homeland Security. They've all demanded remote ID. 
but it also solves a lot of the challenges that I know the community has been concerned about in terms of local restrictions. And what do we what do we do for a privacy concern that is not a restriction on the flight, but instead using existing law to solve those challenges? So those are all the reasons why we we and I think that remote ID is a good thing, but it needs to be done properly. Definitely needs to be done properly. Now, if I understand it correctly, the FAA has really tasked the UAST group to come up with two unique ways to fulfill the remote ID uh, qualifications. Can you help us understand what those two ways are? I think you misspoke. You're talking about ASTM? ASTM, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. There's too many four-letter acronyms in this world, (laughs) uh, and three letters for that matter. So ASTM International is a standards uh, development organization, and they've had uh, what's called the F-38 committee for years developing standards for, for unmanned aircraft systems, and they do standards for other aviation technologies as well. About 18 months ago, they launched an initiative, including industry stakeholders, government observers, to figure out how, how, from a technical point of view, do we get remote ID done? Setting aside the rules that will need to be put in place requiring you to do it, what is the technical solution to doing it? And lots of people participated in that. Many of you know Kenji Sugahara. He was on that. I was on it. And it's actually really good collaborative work. We had Intel, Wing. Uh, There's a long list of of participants, uh, including individuals uh, who are interested in the outcome. And so to your question, there were two ways identified of technically solving the remote ID function. One of that, one of those ways is what we call broadcast. In other words, send the ID information, the license plate for the drone, send it out via a local flight. The second way is, is what we call network, and that is to make the drone connect to the cellular network system. Using the cellular phone system, connect to a, some kind of network uh, remote ID provider system, feed the ID and, and operational data into that, and then people can also access that system from anywhere to receive the drone information, uh, the identity, and other things that might need to be transmitted to make remote ID work. So those are two technical solutions. The standard covers both. Uh, And what we demonstrated in Montreal this week is just one of those two, namely the broadcast solution, which is a direct broadcast from the drone to the phone over a Wi-Fi aware protocol. It does not require an internet connection. So it would work in the mountains, it would work on Mars um, because it's just a direct radio transmission. Awesome, which is different from the network-based system, which is more a cellularly connected system, which would then essentially talk to some sort of dedicated server and then storing data in some sort of physical location, right? The network solution requires a network system connected between the drone and whoever's receiving ID. So that means someone needs to establish the infrastructure, maintain it. There's also the cell phone connection. So you need, there's a number of different costs on that, on that sort of flowchart between the drone and let's say the police officer. And that includes connecting to the network, so you need a data plan. You need a, um, an account with a remote ID provider. Now that may be free, we don't know. There are no economic models for these things yet. But at some point, the system costs for setting up a network, running it, securing it, uh, access accounts and all that, it might end up being a monthly subscription cost. Uh, who knows? So we're concerned about the cost of that and the complexity as well as, as you're indicating. The privacy, concern that's raised by having an aggregate database of all that flight information 
rather than just um, a local license plate model. Now, I think uh, privacy is very important. It can be dealt with for any of these systems, but some of the differences are, are in that, the, the sort of the cost and complexity of these systems versus simplicity, as well as the privacy considerations. And the privacy considerations actually seem pretty clear because if I understand the broadcast-based version, which is the drone-to-phone app and uh, demonstration that DJI did in Montreal, um, this is you know Wi-Fi-based broadcast. So you're you're really only broadcasting as far as visual line of sight from the remote or the drone can be broadcast to, which means that data is not really being stored. More so, it's just being floated across the airwaves. Whereas in the network-based system, it seems like the system wouldn't work properly unless data was stored in one way or another. So I think that is one huge like benefit to this broadcast-based system. And as you've alluded to, there are a lot of concerns about privacy. So help me understand, how do we focus on privacy? How do we protect the privacy of our pilots? Because there are pilots out there that are concerned that any old Joe Schmo with a nefarious intention may go try to find the nearest pilot just to go, you know, jack him and take his drone. Well, um, the, look, the, the privacy concern is real. And we, if you look back at our, our very first uh, paper that we issued in March 2017 on remote ID, this is before the ARC, uh, we said that, that the privacy of the drone operator is paramount. Yes, it's important to solve remote ID for all the reasons I already mentioned, but we really need to make sure the privacy of the operator is taken into account, not just who their name is, but also um, sort of aggregate data about their operation. You wouldn't want your competitor across town figuring out uh, how often you're flying by, by just looking across the remote ID database and figuring out using data analytics uh, how well you're doing across town, right? So that's you can read about that. That's been our position now for uh, two and a half years. Ironically, given some of the headlines that DJI uh, gets lately about privacy, we've been the leading proponent of drone pilot privacy since the beginning of the remote ID discussion back in March of 2017. And we warned against uh, what we called Orwellian outcomes to this remote ID requirement. So I think you're right. Like we really do need to solve the privacy challenge when drones are required to send information out into the world about what they're doing. Now, there are ways to address that. I think it's super important for the user community, for our customers and, and those flying other drones and model aircraft and anything else that might be in the requirement to make sure they're engaged and speak up about that concern when the FAA's notice of proposed rulemaking is issued in December. It's expected to be December and it sounds like it's on track because that's your two-month window of opportunity to file comments with the federal government and raise any concerns about cost or privacy or anything else, including which drones should even be in this requirement. It's not really clear where that's going to come out. Um, so there is an opportunity to, to respond uh, about any type of concern. We also hope that the technology can help address the concern. I mean, ultimately, this should be like a license plate, you know, a number that you can write down if you have a concern about a drone. I think it is a really interesting question as to what other data fields the FAA would be required to be sent out to just members of the public. Uh, we know from discussions at the FAA as well as uh, EASA, which is the FAA equivalent in Europe, that there, there is a desire to provide remote ID information to the public. So putting this information in the hands of anyone is the uh, intent of the government. 
Um, why? Because if a drone is doing something wrong, it's a member of the public who's going to report that. And if they don't have the license plate, what are they going to report? Just like uh, you know, a, a car that runs a red light. You want, the, you want the license plate if, as a citizen, you're going to call that in. I totally uh, uh, understand the concerns that might raise among people using drones innocently, legally, responsibly, um, but nonetheless being reported to the authorities um, just because of the hysteria about drones. I share that concern. I'm not sure there's much that I can do about it or DJI because that is going to be a policy determination as to who has to broadcast remote ID. Is there an exception to it? Is there a way to protect privacy? Uh, are we showing the location of the operator or not? I think that could be useful to facilitate conversations, but of course there might be a concern uh, about the safety of the, of the drone pilot in an environment where drones are misunderstood. I really do share those concerns, uh, but really that is an issue that policymakers need to hear about uh, and decide. It's, it's not going to be DJI, the technology developer who does it. What we're, what we're doing in Montreal is showing that there's a simple and easy way to get remote ID done that shouldn't cost you, the users, anything, because we can just reprogram our drones through software to do it, and then we're done. Uh, that's really the, the goal of, of DJI in, in all this, is to provide us an easy, uh, cost-free, and simple solution to get the job done for the government. Everything else about remote ID is in the government's hands in terms of the policy and, and the privacy issue. And I think that's super critical for everyone to understand is that you really do have the power to tell the government, hey, you know, I think privacy is important. You know, I don't want my location being broadcast or there's got to be some sort of system where there's a stopgap, just like license plates, like you mentioned, where there may be a number, but it doesn't correlate or there's no way to know uh, how that number correlates to a pilot. I think that's really important. And I just want to reiterate what you're saying, Brandon. Pilots, this is up to you. The NPRM comes out in December and you can say, I don't want you know my information to be broadcast or I don't want it to be broadcast this far or I don't want the public to have that information. This is not up to DJI. And I'm sorry, Brendan, to just have to repeat this and clarify it. I just think it's so important because the FAA is leaving the power in the pilot's hands and we cannot let our laziness and lack of determination and persistence get in the way of shaping the industry that we want. And I feel like oftentimes mixed messages and confusion really don't aid in the collective effort of DSPs to really drive this industry forward. So I appreciate the fact that you're saying, look, when it comes to privacy, DJI is on the forefront of protecting users' information. But at the end of the day, it's not up to us. It's up to the U.S. government. So um, again, pilots, you've got to go out there to the NPRM. You've got to comment. It's not available right now. Should be available in December. But Brendan, back on topic to this system, the drone-to-phone system that DJI replicated. I've called this system myself Aeroscope Mobile. And you kind of mentioned, hey, it's not really aeroscope. So help me understand, how is this system different from an aeroscope system? Well, it doesn't exist yet, right? So, so this was a, a proof of concept demo um, in anticipation of FAA requirements, as well as the ASTM emerging standard that is still being finalized, but what we're confident will be published in the next couple months. You know, we're trying to show that broadcast ID works uh, so that it, it can be one of the easy and cost-free ways to get remote ID done, um, you know, given that, you know, that people want to know, is this going to work? How does it work? They want to see it. The regulators at, at ICAO, this conference, we had regulators there from around the world. They really want to see 
is this a solution? Is it going to work? And, and we think that was the purpose of it. Um, Aeroscope exists and it has existed for two, uh, yeah, two or so years, really to provide a solution for those who really need something now. And that's security agencies, law enforcement, airports, um, stadium facilities, the kinds of places where I think we can all agree that a, a rogue or even just carelessly operated drone is going to hurt us all because it will hurt the reputation of the industry, it will raise alarm, just like the Gatwick situation, for example. Whatever that was, it, it certainly had its impact in terms of uh, regulatory discussions in the UK and elsewhere. And so there's urgent need to provide a solution now, even while FAA uh, takes probably the next two years to figure out what the official remote ID solution is. And we're, we're glad that Aeroscope really had, I mean, the, the stories we've heard are that it's really making a difference. It's helped in, in uh, security-related uh, events, in critical facilities and airports, in uh, solving challenges of, of people flying there without authorization. And that's good news. Because that means that it's showing that the industry can solve problems and there's less need for restrictions on the technology as a whole. So I, I don't know if it's fair to call it Aeroscope Light. I mean, it, to the extent that Aeroscope is, was the first demonstration of a broadcast technology that really can and does make a difference uh, to, to these uh, security and, and safety scenarios, yes, it, it is another type of broadcast. The difference being that that the uh, the guidance that we got from the regulators is that the official form of remote ID has to work with the smartphone in your pocket because we want uh, sort of two things. We want public to have access to it, and we don't want the law enforcement uh, agencies and others to have to spend money to buy receivers or to really do anything special. So that means the, the answer to remote ID is not an aeroscope. It's, um, it's the device that people already have, or at least that a lot of people have. Um, in, in their pocket, and that means basically using a Wi-Fi broadcast, as well as the internet network solution, which would be accessible uh, by any device connected to the internet. So remote ID, as you and I would both agree, is extremely important, and um, this system that DJI has just put out would fulfill the broadcast version requirements and potentially the system that Wing kind of put out in a relation with other companies like Kitty Hawk may fulfill the requirements for the network system. What macro effect do you think this broadcast version of the standard for remote ID will have on the industry as a whole? I mean, we, we've talked about, you know, briefly in the intro that I thought, you know, if we have remote ID, we can get, you know, more systematic means of acquiring waivers to do more advanced operations like, you know, BVLOS, um, you know, drone delivery, which I personally believe could single-handedly drive gross domestic product um, in the United States as a whole. So what macro effect do you think this system will have on the industry? Well, I, I think it does finally open the door to things that we thought would happen a couple of years ago, namely rules for flight over people, night operations. Like, what, you know, why do we have 2,000 waivers. Uh, we really just need a rule. And, and we know that drones are saving lives at night. So we definitely need a rule so that more people can do it without the hassle of a waiver, uh, since we understand how to do it safely. So um, it it's definitely opens up the advanced operations. I think it also it provides us with a real uh, answer to, to the concerns we hear at the state and local and federal and international level about accountability 
and responsibility. I think, you know, when it comes to impact on the industry of the solution itself, you're really going to want to focus on the FA's proposal, what you've been calling the NPRM, which stands for Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, that's supposed to come out December 20th. So while you're on Christmas holiday somewhere, download your copy of the NPRM and, and give it a good read and then come back fresh on, on, on you know, day after New Year's ready to start writing because um, that's going to have significant implications for everyone operating including cost and privacy. True. So so if you you know if you have to do remote ID a certain way and that seems like it's going to be expensive or burdensome or complicated or interfere with your operation you got to comment because like you know as big as we are we're just one voice we make the technology we aren't an operating company in terms of service provider operations. So we need we need more voices to and by the way uh, it's not always criticism. It, like the proposal could be great, in which case we want you really should file comments saying the proposal is great, because there will always be people who uh, just don't think the FA is doing enough. It needs to be uh, more restrictive, uh, more secure, more expensive, more complicated. So if the proposal is good, which I hope, but I don't know, you should file positive comments, or you're you know most likely you're. Your comment might be a mix of things you like and things you don't like. The FAA is required to respond to every comment, and they usually do that in the summary form. So if they see enough comments saying this is a concern, they'll need to respond about what they're doing concerning that. And in some cases, they've changed the rules. So one example I always mention is when Part 107 was proposed, it had a 400-feet AGL cap, and people wrote in saying, Sometimes I'm using a drone or I plan to use a drone uh, to inspect a building or a tower that's 500 feet high. I can't do that if, it's, if the 400 AGL is the limit. So part 107 was changed before it was finalized in response to those comments. The FAA said, okay, you can fly 400 feet above a structure if you're within 400 feet of the top. That is a great change that was initiated by the comments to the proposed rule for part 107. Likewise, I think there's some ability uh, for people to file thoughtful, uh, constructive comments on the proposal in December that could make a difference. It's not going to be a comment that says, I hate remote ID. Don't do this to me. Uh, that's like if you just haven't been paying attention for three years, if you think that's a possible outcome here. But I think there are ways in which um, the comments could shape things like, like who has to do remote ID? In what airspace? Which form of it? Is it broadcast? Is it is it network? Is it both? You have to do it both ways, which means you have to have equipment on board your aircraft, like a Wi-Fi uh, antenna, which many already do, but not all. And you have to connect to a, to a network system and do it both ways. You might think that's overkill unless it's in a particularly sensitive location. So pay close attention to what exactly the FAA is proposing that you need to do and think about cost. Think about where is the data going in terms of privacy? And think about anything else that I might not be thinking of, because I, I don't operate drones under Part 107, you know, for business purposes, but you do. And you know your business better than anyone else and how that proposal will impact you. So it's really important for the operators out there to get involved. From our point, we're, we're going to have to develop the technology to, fulfill, to, to make it capable of meeting the requirement. But it's your obligation to actually do the remote identification uh, steps including any costs or, or um, uh, sort of privacy sacrifices that go with that. 
Yeah, one thing I think uh, could be brought up as far as potential comments for people to think about is what if there were certain layers of remote ID on the broadcast side, right? Um, What if there was a tiered system where there's public information where you can see the drone, the license plate ID of the drone number, and the direction it's flying? But maybe LEOs can see where the pilot location is, but the public cannot. These simple changes could add and have a massive effect on privacy on operators as a whole. It could increase safety for operators as a whole. And I think that you really raised some extremely good points about, you know, think about how the system should work, who should have what information, and why does that matter? And then what's the long-term effect of that? I think a lot of people uh, in general really don't think about long-term consequences And I think it's so imperative to really think about, okay, who does this affect? How does it affect them? And then how does it affect them over time? And what are the consequences therein? That's exactly right. And uh, again, we've we've seen comments make a difference in part one of seven. They're not going to change the core of what needs to happen here, which is to provide identification information to people on the ground. Uh, I I do know that there's there's been thought given to, to how much how much the public would know about identity and how much, uh, let's say, a police officer would. And that sort of goes to the back-end identification lookup, just like running the license plates. I don't think there's been a discussion about obscuring the pilot location, part because, again, the, the, the drive of remote ID is to reassociate the person in charge of the operation who's responsible for it with the, with the aircraft, just like the person driving the car is behind the wheel. So if the car does something and you can you know, pull over the car, go talk to that person or stop, you know, do a traffic stop. The person's in the car. You can always talk to the driver of the car if you're near the car and, and can sort of knock on the window kind of thing. Can't do that with a drone. So I, I think there's a desire to show the location of the pilot to everyone so that you can have the conversations and, and you know, if, you know, reassociate the responsible person with the aircraft. Like I said earlier in the, in the program, I understand why in, a, in an environment of misunderstanding and alarm about drones, that that could lead to some um, difficult interactions for drone pilots out there. And I think that's a great point that needs to be raised with the government. And I'm not sure that anyone um, on that side of these discussions has thought about it um, or, or even whether there's a, sort of a way to do that that doesn't detract from the intended purpose here. But it's a great point. No, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, And I think it also goes to show the point of having, you know, practical real life operators on these committees and task force to provide real life information, even if it's just to provide those real world experiences, because I think that would help everyone um, as a whole. Now, that being said, I have one last question for you, um, and I uh, forgot to bring this up. But you made a you made a little comment on the show here about, you know, think about what drones would have to uh, work with remote ID. And, it you know, it begs the question of, you know, this little guy that that's kind of been showing up in the sub 250 gram range at 249 grams. Would something like the Mavic Mini with how remote ID is being developed? Is this a particular drone that would um, have to comply with remote ID or is the size uh, not really uh, been thought of or, or considered? I don't know. Um, no one has seen the proposed rule. Um, if you look at the, um, the ARC report from 2017, there was a uh, uh, work group, it was work group number two, 
that consisted of law enforcement and aviation air traffic and national security representatives on, on the ARC, that stands for Aviation Rulemaking Committee. And they recommended that the drones that should be required to do remote ID are those that have the capability of flying beyond 400 feet from the pilot using a remotely viewable sensor, like, like an FPV capability or some kind of autonomous navigation function. In other words, a sophisticated drone is what causes the concerns and that should be required to identify who's flying it. Whereas toys or things that are less capable are not what we're worried about. Uh, that recommendation made a lot of sense to, to me and, and we indicated our agreement with it. There was a sort of uh, last minute debate about whether we should, well, about traditional model aircraft and something that's very large, but not very capable should be within the remote ID requirement. And a number of us said, that's not the problem we're trying to solve here. It's, it's modern drones that are the concern. And yet there were stakeholders, and you can see it in the report and the voting on the report at the, at the back, uh, stakeholders who thought, no, 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 we should just go with 250 grams. Um, it doesn't matter if your aircraft is a basic balsa flyer from the 70s or the Mavic Mini. The result of which was that the ARC didn't have a um, sort of group recommendation on what to uh, bring within the requirement for remote ID. But if you look at that working group, I, I think they were very clearly focused on the performance of the aircraft being what they were concerned about and what they needed remote ID to solve. I still agree with that. I think that's the right way to look at this uh, challenge. And the Mavic Mini, thank you for, for buying one, is uh, certainly a capable aircraft. As you know by now, since it looks like you've used it, it it's, it's pretty capable. Um, and that means that it should have remote ID we have equipped it with Aeroscope for the reasons I mentioned about security and safety at critical facilities and events, but it's not up to me to decide what's in remote ID or not. That's an FAA decision. We're amenable to including the Mavic Mini in that requirement, but it's not up to us. And it could be that, that the comments that would be filed uh, in once it emerges in December um, might reflect what, um, what people think is the right what we call the threshold for remote ID, the requirement, what's triggering the requirement. But I, I don't know. I think it, you know, on some level, it's, it's always been simpler, uh, especially for registration, to just look at the weight of the aircraft. But maybe the Mavic Mini sort of, uh, I think, predictably. I mean, back at the ARC, we had the Spark, right? I brought one to, to, the, to the ARC meeting. So that was like 300-something grams. So we weren't, we weren't that far away from Mavic Mini even, even two and a half years ago. So I'm not sure why it's so surprising, um, but maybe it suggests that, that the simple ways of, of characterizing the technology aren't necessarily the best. And we, we, you know, it, it makes sense to be more thoughtful about the capabilities of the drone products. Well, historically speaking, the FAA does utilize performance-based standards as a way to make decisions. Is that correct? That is the... Or theoretically most, correct. Yeah. Well, it's the most... I don't in the whole history of the agency. I, I, that is certainly the intent now, uh, especially for UAS, but other things is, is to really focus on performance-based uh, standards uh, rather than arbitrary weights and things like that. Uh, now, again, I think for registration, and we wrote a paper about this, that was decided very quickly. We were just trying to get something implemented. 
the group actually said we should revisit this, like as time goes on and technologies change, uh, maybe that time is now, I don't know, but um, I, I think it's right to look at performance and that certainly in other contexts is what the FAA talks about. Definitely. Well, I greatly appreciate having you on the show to really talk about this system, how it fits into the macro picture of the industry and how it would affect even the uh, smaller drones that are being released. The only correction that I have for you is uh, thank you for sending me the drone. I didn't buy it. <laughs> but, um, I do think that, there that are a lot of great... That means you're sending it back. What's you're sending that? it back to us, right? Uh, I mean, like, there is the return slip in the box, but I don't know. You know, I got I to gotta get my class out on it first. Um, now, that okay. being... Now, that being said, what I do love about the Mavic Mini is that, you know, DJI has really spurred the, um, the you know, the dream of flight. You know, they're really bringing it back when you, you know, you're talking about the alarm that's been caused in the, in the public's eye with drones. I really think this has a big impact on that. And I haven't released my uh, Mavic Mini review because I think the macro effect on the industry is huge with this drone. The usability is definitely not, you know, what we're what we're um, used to. But that's not the purpose it's supposed to serve. So anyway, no more about the Mavic Mini. I really appreciate having you on the show, Brendan, to help explain macro, micro, what this all means for all of us, and how important it is for drone pilots to comment when the NPRM does come out in December. So so really, thank you. No, I appreciate it. I, you know, I just uh, in closing, just want to reiterate something that I hope was clear, which is, yeah, I set aside some of the recent headlines uh, that, that are another topic altogether, but we really are on your side. And, and in all of these conversations about remote ID, going back to early 2017, we've really asserted the need to keep the burdens low, respect privacy, do remote ID in the right way that, that works for the operators, for our customers. We really are on your side because, like, we don't have drones to sell you if you aren't using them, right? It only makes sense that our interests are completely aligned with the customers who use our products. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to advocate uh, for a good outcome that does, does solve the real challenges that the U.S. government has with respect to drone flights uh, and security and accountability. We really do, as an industry, we need to accept that that solution is important. We can't shy away from it. We can't uh, say that we, you know, that there's no right to figure out who's flying the drone. Uh, that's really not productive. So we, we must solve the challenges of the U.S. government, the FAA, and the security agencies when it comes to drone operation. But I do think that that uh, that we and, and all of you really uh, need to get involved in advocating for a good outcome to remote ID, not no outcome, but something that actually works best. And and as you said, Paul, the the, the opportunity is is imminent to do exactly that once the FAA proposal comes out. So thank you again for having me on the show. No, really, I thank you actually for coming on the show. And I also think it goes to show, just to reiterate a point, that FPV pilots, the Cinewhoop guys, the the racers, you know, they've always said how much they're underrepresented. But I mean, your opportunity to speak it, it is shortly coming. So make sure you take advantage of it. But again, Brendan, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. Really do appreciate it. If you have questions or comments on this particular topic, um, I would love to hear them. I actually just remembered one last thing I want to say, Brendan, because, you know, you've said that, hey, you know, guys, we're really on your side on, and our, you know, our goals align. For the longest time hearing that, I, you know, I've heard that and said, well, I know you, Brendan, I've been at the FAA meetings with you. I've seen, you know, what you say, how you say it. 
Um, but after watching the most recent DAC meeting, uh, task group three, task group two, you and the guy from CNN, um, again, forgot his name, are Greg. The, Greg, biggest advocates for drone service providers in the industry, hands down, no questions asked. You guys need to go watch the videos on YouTube yourself to go figure out uh, exactly what they're doing, why they're doing it, and, uh, and how much they're advocating for you. Because as you've heard me on the show say many times, I really think we need more drone service providers who actually are flying out in the field and, and are facing problems that are, you know, most of these government agencies are not even aware of. So I just want to say again, thank you. And for everyone out there, make sure you watch these DAC meetings because the proof is in the pudding. Who's doing what? for who and why. Anyway, on that bombshell, that's going to do it for our show today. Brendan, again, thank you. And guys, please don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe, but that's going to do it. My name is Paul. You're watching Ask Drone You. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.